Welcome, everybody. On today's episode, we have a paradoxically thrilling discussion about sleep. Sleep. Very exciting subject. Cannot believe this is the first time that we're dedicating a full episode to the subject of sleep. Why have I only had one sleep researcher on the podcast so far? That is a shame. We're making up for it now. This is an amazing episode. Going to try to hop right into it. Got to keep those intros short. Those new people checking in, we got to keep them engaged and make sure that they're not getting annoyed with too long of intros. Going to put in more information in the outro for you hardcore uh, fans to uh, hear more about me and the podcast and what's going on, when I'm going to be in your area, that sort of thing. But we got to keep these intros short, which means I probably shouldn't be over explaining this right now. Why even mention all this? Because you know me, I tend to ramble sometimes and I'm a little weird. I do need to plug June 15th, the world premiere of my very first documentary, Psychonautics, a comics exploration of psychedelics. Super pumped, guys. What a fun film to make. I can't believe the way that turned out. June 15th in Hollywood, the famous Chinese theater. Please spread the word to everyone you know in Los Angeles uh, or anyone interested in flying to Los Angeles that likes checking out film festivals, the Dances with Films festival that my film is in is a fantastic time. I'll be hanging out there uh, the 7th through the 17th, but my film will be on the 15th. Also, confirmed, next Jamaica retreat, December 1st through the 9th. Go to mycomeditations.com to find out more. More words on that on the backside. Thank you so much for tuning in and enjoy this wonderful episode. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. Today, I am in Ames, Iowa, talking with Professor of Psychology at Iowa State University. Zlatan Krijan is joining me today. Zlatan, congratulations on winning the award for best name on the Here We Are podcast. I, I am I am honored. Thank you very much. Great to be here. <laughs> you're uh, you're also you're a fascinating guest already. We haven't even started talking, but you have outside of science. You also you have a whole nother life outside of this, right? Uh, yes, mostly head, but. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I've been involved with, with music and uh, playing drums with, with bands and, and jazz and DJing electronic music and, and hip-hop for, for a while now. So there is sort of a, a second career that's been squeezed out by children a little bit, but sure. I'm surviving. How many kids do you have? Two. Oh, all right. Yeah, that'll... They'll do it. That, that'll put some of that on the back burner. Do you have a site that people can go and check out some of your stuff? Um, yes, uh, facebook.com uh, slash, I should say, Struya, S-T-R-O-O-Y-A. Awesome. We'll put it on the site as well. Here we are, podcast.com website. This is, uh, I, I was so excited when I had you because as far as I can remember, uh, I don't know if we've done 180 episodes or something like that. I don't think we've really talked in depth about sleep on the show before, and I don't understand how we 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 have yet to get into the topic. It's a third of our lives. It's a big, uh, seemingly important thing. Maybe I'm glad you came around. <laughs> and uh, and uh, so so you study uh, a lot of sleep and how uh, how it influences our ability to. Uh, self-regulate and and the various um, changes in our modern environment that influence sleep. How did you how did you get into studying sleep? Is it just I've always been a big fan of sleep myself. <laughs> I, I I love it. Some people are like I'll sleep when I die, yeah. and I'm like, well, that's not how death works. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely not. Uh, I, I've been desperate for sleep for so long, uh, being an insomniac for many years. So I I can't pretend that was not a part 
of of my drive. Really, you're sleep. you're an insomniac? Yeah, yeah. I certainly. I mean, my children largely cured me of that because right. it's kind of like sleep restriction therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then your your uh, circadian rhythms tend to shift a little bit as you age. So so that has helped. And my interests are <laughs> sort of come from a different place now. But um, you know what they say in psychology: often all research is me search. Right. Um, so. That sort of played a role here, but I think the more important part is that, as you said, it is a third of our of our life, and I think what we're learning from from modern science is that it's actually more than a third, and and that this idea that we have this awake state as one state of consciousness, and then this state when we sleep, where presumably consciousness is absent, barring some dreams we collect now and again, that's really being questioned. By, by many researchers, a lot of findings are suggesting there's not this uh, easy dichotomy to make. What do you mean? So, uh, you know, we think that, okay, we are awake, that has a certain neural signature. If you put those uh, caps with electrodes on people and you measure their electroencephalographic signal or EEGs, as they're lovingly known, you can you can see these different markers of different uh, states of uh, wakefulness and and sleep. But now as, as, as we started, and by we I mean the, the mostly neuroscientists, um, started to probe a bit deeper into you know, human brains and, and rats' brains, um, you find out that, that sleep is kind of this thing that's happening to the brain all the time. And sometimes a, a part of the brain can go asleep even when you're awake. And uh, ultimately, if you're very sleep-deprived, you, you can see that through these micro-sleeps. So, so we kind of see sleep-like activity intrude on awake-like activity if you're monitoring brain waves. But it gets even more insidious than that. You can have local neural assemblies perform what is called local sleep, where they just basically kind of shut off for a while because they can't sustain this operation whatever length of time they've been required to do so. And what it seems when you sort of have proper sleep, when you you slumber off and you have those visible behavioral signs, right? You lose consciousness, you lose motor control Mm -hmm. and tone. That's just when most of the brain kind of gets together to shut off in this rhythmic pattern. But it's kind of happening all the time. Huh. Well, I mean, there's a – I guess I knew that that, – there's a lot of fish that like sleep with one half of their brain at a time. I'm probably butchering that information horribly. <laughs> it's, it's dolphins. But is is <laughs> so that what it is? <laughs> is it dolphins? Yes, I knew it was yes. something that that swims around. That's... Yes, it's it's dolphins and a few other species as well. And and is it so? Is there something a little bit similar to that happening with it? Where where so, so parts yeah. of, when you talk about what was right. it? Local sleep is that what you said? Uh, yeah, yeah. So I mean, a, a local sleep is often uh, refers to just these really kind of smaller neuronal assemblies that uh, that may uh, activate or deactivate. Uh, but the kind of dolphin cases usually called unihemispheric unihemispheric sleep, uh, hemispheric sleep. Excuse me because only one half of the brain would turn off, so to speak. So uh, uh, the problem dolphins have, because they're not fish, is they're holding their breath when they're underwater. And you need to be awake to hold your breath, right? Mm -hmm. If they would completely fall asleep, they would drown. So the solution to that evolutionary theorizing goes is that they basically keep one, just enough of their brain, which ends up being one half, awake so they can move and as well as kind of look out on potential threats and dangers with just the left eye, and then they switch. And then the other half of the brain gets its rest, and back and forth they go. Hmm. So what is the difference? So then when you talk about microsleep, what is microsleep? So uh, uh, have you ever been very sleep-deprived? Oh, yes, <laughs> very much so. Me, and uh, I've also been to, like, you know, I was I was taken to, uh, uh, I was dragged to church every Sunday growing up, and I feel like I did a lot of, like, a micro-sleep. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so that's, and, I mean, uh, uh, waking any adolescent before 9 a.m. is sort of its own version of torture. <laughs> right. Um, so uh, what happens is, you know, we, we, we are consciously ultimately aware when we get so tired, right, we, we realize that we, you know, head starts to droop, our eyes start to close, but a lot of stuff starts happening way before you have these visible behavioral signs um, or even sometimes internal conscious signals. So 
um, you know, you ever uh, drove tired and then kind of came to it and it's like, oh, wow, I can't remember the last 10 seconds. Yeah, I, yeah. I actually was, uh, I was doing, a, uh, years and years ago, I was, I was doing some weird, I was trying that, what, what's the, what's the sleep pattern where you try to like take a nap every 15 or for 15 or 20 minutes. But that's like, like multi-phasic sleep. Or whatever. Uh, yeah. I tried uh-huh. doing that for a while. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you didn't do it very long. Right? And I, uh, I ended up, I, I woke up um, having driven into a ditch, uh, not realizing that I dozed off and I was able to so, get so myself that's a, back. So that's a great road. example where your brain goes into this specific kind of activity pattern, these more what would be called theta waves or ultimately delta waves, so these much slower oscillations where you have these neuronal assemblies turn on and off for longer periods of time, which is basically what happens in in slow wave sleep. So you, you have these the, the, the sleep intrude on your wakefulness without your conscious awareness that you're losing consciousness. A similar phenomena you can observe often in the evening when you fall asleep. So if you ever, let's say, uh, watch TV with somebody and they're falling asleep and you see that and you wake him up and you say, hey, you fell asleep. And they say, no, I didn't. Hmm. Have you ever observed that? And yeah. they're, they're not aware. Basically, you haven't been asleep for long enough. You didn't change that state of consciousness sufficiently for your brain to register that it has changed. Hmm. Right? So uh, so I, I think uh, it's better to think when we think about sort of sleep and wakefulness and where that fits into our behavior and experiences as, as what I like to call it, you know, the sleep-wake. It's, it's sort of this one space, right, where at any given time you have some sleep pressure. And depending on time of day, depending on your sleep depth and certainly uh, many other factors, um, you are your brain is trying to sleep to a certain extent or trying to be awake. And you're always somewhere on that continuum. Hmm. That is fascinating. And and so the, the big question that everyone always wants to know that, that uh, I think science is still trying to crack, wh- uh, why, why have this sleep stuff in the first place? It seems like a big waste of time. It seems pretty... Uh, it seems pretty costly when you could be out there hunting and gathering or whatever i don't have a real job i'm not sure what people actually do in real life i imagine they're out there hunting and gathering uh yeah we, we certainly <laughs> used to do a lot of that um yeah i mean that's the age-old question so what's the ultimate function of, of sleep and you outlined some downsides um you know sleeping people are vulnerable um you can be uh, you know assaulted you can be eaten as you said you are not um, uh, foraging uh, for food. Um, however, it, it seems that um, there's one inevitable fact on this planet and that, that all life has developed um, within the context of this uh, Earth's rotation around its own axis where you have these huge washes of heat and light for half a little bit of time and then you have this huge darkness and so it goes roughly every 24 hours. And so when you look generally at at organisms on Earth, you see that they all have entrained to this solar rhythm and all of them have found some sort of a niche. We are these, you know, diurnal animals that that forage during the day and and generally sleep at night, although that's varied a lot. And you have nocturnal animals and you have those those uh, creepy crepusculars like raccoons that only come out in, in twilight. So all life, right, all, if you think, all cellular structure that we all share has developed in this uh, in this song of the sun, in this solar beat, right, that we participate in. So you are a musician. <laughs> you're, you're this, this is, Did I this give is, myself up again? Uh, yeah, that's, that's the most poetic I've ever heard someone talk about day and night before, uh, before or at least a scientist. It, it can be romantic if you try hard enough. Um, so, uh, so I think there was always this opportunity to, to do things and then less opportunity to do what you were doing the other half the time but to do something else. And everything we're learning about sleep is that it's not this passive time where nothing happens, where we wasting time. It's actually where a lot of things that we think happen while we are awake actually happen. So when we think about learning, so if you think about learning as in ingraining in your nervous system some kind of pattern of responding that you didn't have before, right? And that sort of broadly applies to being able to name a capital you didn't know 
right or even throw a ball in a way you couldn't throw before. When that gets ingrained in our nervous system is actually during sleep. Mm-hmm. When you're awake, you're just taking in or spitting out, and it's actually during sleep where all that gets processed through ourselves. Yeah, I, I recently got back into uh, rock climbing again, and I had a, a, I had a particularly uh, interesting example of, of this because I, I don't often remember my dreams, and I had a dream where I was rock cli- I was actually doing this uh, particular route at my rock gym that I had been struggling with, and I figured out a move of just like turning my foot a different way on this one particular hold mm-hmm. during this route. That I thought of while I was sleeping, I woke up, used it the next day, and I was able to complete this route that I was struggling with. Well, wow! So you just, you know, kind of shared uh, shared a little anecdotal experience with people, like you know, Kekule, the, the chemist who discovered the structure of benzene, presumably <laughs> dreaming about six snakes that are biting each other in the butt. Is that uh, a true? That's what he said. Uh, yeah, yeah. So that's the idea, and there, there's huh. there's also this report that uh, Watson and Crick, who discovered uh, the sort of double uh, helix structure of DNA, they, they've discovered sort of the one-strand idea relatively early on, but the mystery is how it all fit together. And presumably, uh, Francis Crick had this dream in which he envisioned these sort of strands that matched up in this three-dimensional manner. I thought uh, that was LSD that did that. <laughs> well, he was not a stranger to that either. So, well, I'm so curious on the... Uh, I I had never thought of this this partial sleep time while we're so so we're constantly i mean i always even during these interviews i'm i'm sitting here i'm engaged i'm very interested in what you have to say and then you say the give me this new piece of information that i've never thought about before and then it, it is like something uh like my my attention changes a little bit and there's a part of my brain that starts processing that and creating metaphors and 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 uh creating a, a new uh, perspective for me right. and what but, to do with that new piece yeah. of information. But that's not going to happen till you fall asleep. Okay. Well, I, so I have to fully fall asleep yes. for that to happen. And so what is, what's the function of these, of these uh, local sleep patterns? So, uh, you know, the ultimate, uh, I guess, issue is, is that, you know, the bio, uh, so I guess that was my point with circadian rhythms, that all biological function has evolved in this. We're going to do a bunch of stuff for a while, and then we're not going to do it, or we're going to do something else. So I, it, it makes sense that potentially you have specialization or distribution of certain functions when you're awake. So when you're awake, you need to notice opportunities, right? Food, you need to invest effort and energy to get them, right? You need to observe and kind of take in experience, right? We're also visual creatures. So we have this you know, huge area of the brain is just devoted to uh, visual processing. So there's a lot of different ideas, but... So you're just taking and taking it. You you can't process and integrate all that while you're also taking in stuff from the outside, mm-hmm. right? So once you fall asleep, now you can focus on basically house cleaning, on sorting and filing, so to speak, mm-hmm. right? Think about wakefulness as collecting and gathering and noticing. and And then once you have this basically mess of stuff in your head, then during sleep, they're like, well, where does it fit? Does this help me solve this problem? Is this something like these other experiences I've had? Is this uh, another skill that fits with these other skills? A lot of that involves phenomenal consciousness. A lot of it doesn't. But if you think about it that way, it kind of makes sense that we kind of have a different time, a different states um, for specialization. So just a kind of more concrete example of what's happening in a brain you know, it turns out that you have these synapses that are basically kind of pruning themselves, reducing in size when we go to sleep. So that's the idea of sleeping to forget, right? So we need to integrate the new useful stuff. But think about, especially, you know, if you're on YouTube on Facebook, how much junk comes in, right, as input. And you <laughs> right. need to figure, separate the wheat from the chaff, as an uh, right, right. agrarian uh, metaphor would go. And uh, so it looks like a you know, part of it. It's 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 figuring out, uh, you know, what we need, what we don't need, and keeping the brain flexible enough to chunk the junk and keep the good stuff. Huh. That that is quite the task. Figuring out what exactly because. Uh, my conscious existence, my conscious awareness, I don't necessarily know 
um, ahead of time. If I'm if I'm say reading a book, for example, I don't know ahead of time. I might I might have sections where I'm like, oh, that was a really interesting mm-hmm. part. Mm-hmm. Maybe I can use that for a joke or in an interview or something like that, right? But um, but the outcome of what I end up using ultimately, a lot of times the great joke idea that springs into uh-huh. my mind or whatever happens to be from some tiny little aspect of information that I had that was kind of that in seemed my irrelevant at yeah. the time, right. right? Or you kind of noticed. So yeah, I mean, it, it, part of it is um, you never know what's going to be important going forward. So there's constant revision, right? I mean, part of what good brain does, it, it never gets sort of too lazy, right? But you also can be too eager. You know, there's this balance between, you know, learning what has recently ha- uh, happened, right? But when attaining this flexibility to to change if if need be. And um, it looks like uh, that is what's going on. Hmm. So there's also the mechanism that's like, so I, I have like some new idea or I learn something and I'm like, well, that's a that's a great merch idea. I'm going to get a bunch of like uh, large candles that are, that are shaped like beer mugs or something like that. I'm going to sell these after shows, and then I just jump at the, at that idea. And now, next thing I know, I've I've wound up with a thousand beer mugs that are heavy and hard to transport around and aren't the most practical yeah, merch I mean, idea. Dreams could potentially lead you down the wrong path <laughs> with silly ideas. But one thing that does seem to happen in in at least dream consciousness or experiences that that occur during the rapid eye movement sleep is this hyper association right where so during wakefulness you you kind of need to be in touch with reality right it it helps yeah at least a little bit it kind of helps to know like oh that's a cup there's coffee in it don't put your foot in it right Right. you need to drink through the mouth not through the ear that stuff kind (laughs) of seems silly right but it's really really important to think about objects and experiences in this functional way right now, in, in, in sleep consciousness or, or maybe sort of, you know, REM dream con- consciousness to be more specific, it, what seems to be going on is that you have this kind of hyper-associative playground where you can connect things in a way. This is partially because the, the, the whole brain landscape of what's working hard, what's not working changes in, in REM sleep. So those critical areas, those frontal brain areas really kind of toned down, which is why you can have these bizarre experiences and dreams that you never question. You can never have, oh, it was kind of like my grandmother's house, but it was a castle at the same time. You know what I mean. You can have that thought in wakefulness. I once had a five-foot <laughs> penis in my dream, and it was like real problematic. Like, what about, how do I use it? It's too big. And and it didn't even occur to me that like, <laughs> like I've, been, I, I've been seeing and having to use my penis for urination and other purposes my entire life. And it didn't even occur to me once to be like, wait, the last time I checked, my penis wasn't five feet You just long. packaged all the Freudian <laughs> themes in a single dream. Great, wonderful job. So so, so we, we can be in uh, the, the, the silly, dumb point I'm trying to make is that we can be in any ridiculous situation and seemingly there's nothing uh, that's stopping us from yeah, buying into so it. So we can simulate all this stuff that may be bizarre or silly mm-hmm. or seem pointless, right? But this is how you find potential solutions or this is how you get ready for even something that's very rare or unlikely but it may be very consequential so your typical dream is this kind of anxiety you know something didn't work out and also the dream stops before really anything happens right Mm -hmm. a typical dream there's a lot of anticipation a lot of leading up to it a lot of concern a lot of emotions and then you usually shift in a different dream scene or you wake up right there's Mm -hmm. this kind of this unfinished unconcluded aspect to most dreams that this the kind of you know the, the orgasm that never really happens if it's a sexual dream the you know the bad uh, criticism by the teacher never really happens if it's showing up naked in class dream these kind mm-hmm. of uh, dreams that people frequently uh, frequently report so all that speaks to this kind of a si- simulating potential experiences and events and of course individuals who have traumas if you think about veterans who relive these traumatic memories and nightmares in dreams Again, you can think about it in the same um, uh, in the same pattern that these individuals had this obviously very significant, very traumatic experience, and it's only natural for the brain to try to kind of a figure out what it was, where it's going to happen again, how right. to get ready for it happening again, and sometimes, unfortunately, to people's detriment, due to distress. And- hmm. 
This is even more fascinating than I hoped it was going to be. This is so I I never thought about that idea that the that often our uh, I guess you're saying maybe never, but our dreams don't finish. That is like when you're falling or something right before right, you hit the right. ground, yep. you wake up every time, huh? Because I was as you were talking before you said that, I was kind of thinking that you know this is our our. Uh, our brain might be putting together these ridiculous stories and creating mm-hmm. these these um, outrageous fictions, but but there might be there might be um, some little takeaway, some kind of moral to the story that that we're that we're we we often use metaphors all through life, and you read children um, absolutely ta- fairy tales that have a little life lesson in them, and that sort of our dreams kind of maybe doing a similar thing in in some instances yeah so the the metaphorical aspect of dreams is is undeniable uh, in this course on sleep and dreams that i teach i shared this dream from a vietnam veteran in which he thinks about this oven that is charging towards him and his uh, fellow soldiers right so he didn't experience a charging oven on a battlefield i assume but you can see where a something breathing fire, very hot and very dangerous is, is coming towards you. It's not unlike a soldier with a weapon. And you can see this kind of, uh, you know, metaphorical connections and things that do make sense vis-a-vis people's actual experiences. And dreams often pull on those event scenarios from your actual life. So they're not actually that random, right? So, you know, most ton, tons of kids' dreams are about animals. Why they think about animals, they play with animals, they have stuffed animals in their bed. Unless you live in an agrarian society, most adults don't dream about animals that much because they're not a big part of your life, right? Um, maybe here in Iowa it's different for some. Sure. So so what happens when uh, when you miss out on this? I, so yesterday, I, I last night, I didn't get my normal nine hours of, of beauty sleep i i came <laughs> i came close to it but uh I, I think i got maybe six hours or something like that compared to my uh, my regular amount of sleep so so I, i'm not i'm maybe not a hundred percent my my normal full uh energy uh, your bubbly self bubbly so yeah, yeah exactly uh so so what are the, what are the sort of impairments that you start seeing once uh you start having a slight impairment in in sleep and then mm-hmm. and then when it becomes more serious so uh, you can hear a lot about consequences of lost sleep of sleep deprivation how you know obviously you, you can't sustain your attention especially if something that's boring, this may be dangerous for driving, you can't think clearly, etc. And all those things are true. Uh, most of these findings come from total sleep deprivation studies where you keep basically people awake, let's say, for you know 36 to 48 hours without any sleep. Powerful, powerful manipulation, as you may imagine. But we have moved now in 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 the in sleep science toward understanding really what different doses and schedules of sleep loss do. So just if you think about psychoactive agents and drugs, answering a question, what does this drug do? It's often hard to do that because a drug does one set of things, a very small dose, a different set of things at a moderate dose, a yet third set of things at a very high dose, and then you often die given a sufficiently high dose. And those things go for medication that are good for us and illegal drugs that may be bad for us. But these profiles or effects are very complex and change. And it seems the sleep is very similar. So what's happening when you lose a few hours and what's happening as those hours end up accruing um, seems to change a lot. What makes this tricky is that we have a lot of flexibility in dealing with sleep loss. So think about, you know, uh, surgeons who have these crazy shifts, crazy worse hours. Why would you want a sleep-deprived person to be holding two knives right. while inside your abdominal cavity, right? So I, this kind of schedule is developed for a lot of reasons, right? Bureaucratic reason, tradition in the hospitals. And, of course, the fact that we do want a surgeon to be there should something happen to us at 3 a.m. Mm-hmm. Um, but... 
these surgeons are also extremely motivated, right? They have a lot to lose. They care about what they're doing. They're trying to do a good job. So you can compensate often for some of these cognitive deficits or emotional dysregulation. But who can ha- compensate how much, right? Uh, that varies a lot. And we're learning that you can compensate for some things better than others. For example, it looks like if you're doing kind of cognitive problems, you know, thinking, focusing, or trying to ignore certain, you know, response tendencies, you can kind of shift some of that stuff from one part of the brain to the other um, when you're sleep deprived. So you can kind of compensate for lost sleep for certain kind of activities, this kind of a dry cognitive activities. But when, when it gets to these kind of more emotional inputs, stuff that's coming uh, from from the hypothalamus, uh, you know, for pain, frustration, it looks like the brain can deal with those kind of problems under sleep deprivation as well. There are not other places in a brain to outsource dealing with it. So yeah, maybe you can get more motivated, right? But all of these are short-term fixes. So it's kind of like a, it's a very flexible landscape, where you can deal with some sleep loss, but the more sleep loss you have, the more treacherous that landscape gets mm-hmm. and um, more likely are, to, uh, are you to have uh, some kind of an issue somewhere in your functioning. Uh, going back to, uh, this just occurred to me, uh, going back to dreaming. Mm-hmm. So so dreaming is, uh, I mean, we talked about some of the functions of, of dreaming and putting together some of these ideas, processing memories, weeding through relevant information but this is dreaming's a small amount of our sleep time right it, well, it's, it's, well it's not it's not clear so it kind of comes down to how you define dreaming some arguments have been basically semantic so if we define uh, dreaming as this sort of a uh, immerse immersive hallucinatory narrative so those kind of dreams we share with friends you know i was there and experienced this sort of a i call it a dream proper right mm-hmm. those seem to occur mostly if not only during rapid eye movement sleep associated with dreams but people have mentation and conscious experiences of a simpler sort, or they're maybe not as immersive even during other stages of sleep. So sometimes sleepwalkers and sleep talkers, right? So these are the parasomnias, right? When you get up, this happens during non-REM sleep, during, um, for example, slow wave sleep in case of sleepwalking. Even though those individuals are often, you know, confused if they're woken, they don't know what they're doing, they're not dreaming proper, here and there they will have images of, for example, their kitchen or place they've been at. So all that speaks to the fact, uh, if we kind of connect to uh, with what we began to show, that just like wake is not always awake, asleep is not always asleep. So you do have some consciousness occasionally, even in those stages of sleep that we think you don't have any consciousness. Hmm. Well, the uh, the question I'm moving toward is why does why does sleep take so long? Why isn't it uh, why isn't it a more efficient process? Uh, and and don't I mean if you don't have an answer for that, that's totally fine. It's I'm going to answer your question with another question. Isn't it amazing that we can just stay awake as long as we do to all this stuff that we do? Yeah, I mean, so in that way, I guess I'm questioning the the the, the premise of your question that um that that it is taking sort of long right right or long relative to what hmm. so an increase um another kind of along those same lines what i'm curious about is is uh so you're you're a surgeon and uh, you're you get the adrenaline going that's getting you through this operation even though you're tired or people use coffee people people use a variety of stimulants cocaine meth uh, uh adderall whatever mm-hmm. there's there's all these and so so i you know i had some coffee this morning yeah. i have some coffee it wakes me up it gets me a little more stimulated i felt a little more focused while i was driving and there might be some uh some negative consequences or I, I might uh that that high might drop off after a while and um but why did why did we evolve the kind of equilibrium that we did why 
why not evolve just a, a more stimulated brain in the first place? Why not just when you, okay, so you have your eight, nine hours of sleep. Why not when you do wake up, why not just have the brain being more stimulated and more focused than it is? Is this just a constraint with... Um, but but isn't it, do, don't you feel after good sleep that you're more focused, ready to approach the day, uh, take on challenges, you have the the enthusiasm. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. Then if you didn't sleep? Then if I didn't sleep, for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm someone that has a rough time getting out of <laughs> yeah, me, bed. And, and, and that may that may happen uh, from this timing. And I guess I would I would have to go back to this idea of dancing to the sun, right? Is that the ground truth for life on earth is one of this rhythm that you know life on earth has never known anything else but these you know huge washes of heat and light so you know everything grew up and grew out of that primordial uh, song if you wish what about naps what about naps well it, so even uh, the his- history of sleep is, has been sort of disputed too so there's this idea that actually our ancestor the, you know the hunters gatherers that you referred to earlier actually had this biphasic sleep because we'd get tired as soon as the sun would set you'd sleep you'd take some of the edge off then you'd wake up in the middle of the night share dreams have sex sing songs uh, the spiritual things. That's, that's um, a, wow, that's quite. A, that's a, that's way more exciting yeah, than my a, normal <laughs> middle of the night. I would just go to so, the bathroom, right? Yeah. And so, um, and uh, and then you then you'd have this like you know morning sleep. Okay. And uh, then you could work during the day. You know, electricity screwed all that up, right? We that's when we started mm. this, the idea of you know regimented day, the idea of a work day. Before you'd work when you needed to work, and you'd stop working when you couldn't work anymore. You didn't need to work anymore. I mean, this whole idea of set work time is a you know joke from the last two hundred years. Hmm. <laughs> um, so that's pushed. It's pushed us to do things that really we have not necessarily evolved to do. And all this new technology, these little computers we're carrying that have all our worries and stresses and dreams—no pun intended—that we go to sleep with are doing yet other unthinkable things uh, in terms of uh, our sleep-wake schedules. And it's going to be fascinating to try to figure out what those are. Yeah, there's so there's uh, I I've seen many times now that it that uh, you're supposed to if you want to have a good night's rest, make sure and turn off that TV and and turn off the the cell phone and whatever else. What a couple hours before bed or something like that is. Yeah, I mean, I think that is very good sound advice. Uh, you know, most most people ignore it. I actually you know follow it. I don't have a, the cell device in the bedroom. Uh, you know, there's several issues. There's just issues that, I mean, even though this is like a little computer, I don't know why we call it a phone because nobody uses it for calling anybody. It's like, you know, a little mini world of, uh, you know, parties, responsibilities, deadlines that's underneath the sheets with you. So if you just think about that for a second, you can realize why that's not a great idea to try mm-hmm. to disconnect from reality and lose consciousness, which is sort of prerequisite and part of falling asleep. And the other issue is lights that are emitted by these screens, um, which tend to basically fool us into thinking it's sun and displace our rhythms forward, making it further difficult to fall asleep, further difficulty in waking up the next day and and getting more desynchronized from where we're supposed to be. And and is there a difference between that kind of light and just normal artificial house lights, light bulbs? Yeah, I mean, the the screens are closer and brighter. Um, That's the main problem. Mm. But there are apps, for example, where they can tilt the color spectrum towards more warmer colors. Those don't have uh, uh, such a problematic influence on Hmm. shifting our internal rhythms. Oh, that's interesting. Do you know any of those apps? Um, I use one. I forgot what it's called. It doesn't matter. People can get it. I think actually iPhone has a setting within it that you can Hmm. change that. The, the brightness and the hue. Hmm. Uh, I usually do it like after seven and before seven. So, so you actually ran. Uh, you've done a bit of research on this, tracking mm-hmm. over time the the use of uh, 
of devices and which is this is uh, a big topic of conversation these days kids are kids these days yeah. with their uh. darn fancy computers and their screens I, I, yeah no I, in some ways i'm always skeptical about this this kids these days kind of mentality comes right. mostly from the fact that you know you have changed right <laughs> rather than the kids are different than they used to be but that does hold some merit in a sense that the just the physical technological landscape bears, you know, very little resemblance to the times, you know, the two of us probably grew up. Um, and so uh, what we did in this recent uh, analysis is looked at these national representative surveys of adolescents, right? So where you can get really good snapshot of basically the country or, or everyone. So thousands and thousands of adolescents across the United States and actually two independent surveys. So we kind of have a, this cross-check um, between two independent studies. And both of these surveys asked about um, sort of quantity of sleep uh, with the different types of questions, but we were able basically to extract um, from these responses what percentage of adolescents had insufficient sleep for most of the week, let's say less than seven or six hours. And we tracked this from the last 25 years through these uh, two surveys. The most fascinating thing is that we looked at what started happening around 2011-12 when smartphone reached saturation in the adolescent market. So by 2012, pretty much every high schooler um, that had the financial means had a, had a smartphone. And so what you see is that this sort of average sleep duration doesn't change much through 2000s among adolescents, that is. And then around 2012, you have this meteoric rise in insufficient sleep. And when we looked at other things students are doing, they report in these surveys, things that can display sleep, like doing homework or working. These are traditional things we know that uh, may displace adolescent sleep. Compared to activities they reported on, such as using social media, uh, internet news online, kind of things that pretty much they would all use a smartphone for, all those are going up with insufficient sleep over this period. And the homework and these other factors also associated with less sleep are going down or are not changing. So this is about as best causal evidence, you know, barring an experiment that is impossible here because you can't assign society to different historical eras, <laughs> that there's this, you know, huge change in adolescent sleep. If you kind of crunch the numbers, it ends up being within five years, 2.5 million more sleepless teenagers. So these are kind of findings that... Uh, seem like it would be very consequential. I don't want to be an alarmist and say, you know, oh my God, you know, there's going to be this many more auto accidents, you know, we, the society is going to break down because of that flexibility of sleep and because of all these ways we can deal with this. But I think it is a fact that it's going to create pressures on our wakefulness <laughs> and pressures on our brains and we're going to figure out how to navigate those and what's supposed to be a 24-hour day of functioning. These days, well, I mean, the apocalypse is coming one way or another. <laughs> it will, it will be a little not. bit of a bummer hope, if it's I just like, no, I, what, why, what ended the human race? Well, they got a little too sleepy. Well, I, again, I don't want to be alarmist. I think we're going to figure out. You know, sleep couldn't have been great like during the time of you know Black Plague, where right. you slept in you know smelly room with twenty others, wondering if your throat's going to be cut or your children are going to die from an infectious disease tomorrow. So, those were not great environments. <laughs> for sleeping yet somehow we got through it sure we lost about half of us or so sure. but we got we got through it so i don't think this is going to be as dire for sure. sure but i think it does raise a lot of questions that we're going to have to deal with in some way well you do so much work with uh, with sleep and uh, self-regulation and then uh, talking about uh, teenagers, which are which are not the not the best, <laughs> not the best <laughs> to start off with. This is a compounding problem. What what is your what's the the work? Um, what kind of research are you doing with regulation? So so this is kind of research again that fits into this theme of of what does sleep means for our kind of most uniquely human capacity. So things that presumably. Only humans and maybe some of our closest primate cousins do, yet most other animals don't do, which is things such as, you know, project ourselves in the imaginary future, 
change what we're doing now in order to approach a, a sort of better future fantasy and, and avoid the worst future fantasy, right? Yeah. That's kind of like this thing consciousness does for Plan us. Plan for retirement, us. <laughs> yeah, and an afterlife. This, and all this great stuff, yeah. right, that makes us human. So it, it looks like that losing sleep often hits these things uniquely or very directly. Um, so in some of the recent research, this is still ongoing, but we, we show people a bunch of, you know, uh, photographs of people with strong negative emotions, and we ask them to identify those emotions, something that's often called, you know, empathic accuracy. Can you can you figure out what somebody's feeling based on uh, external cues? And we also ask them how much, how much, how concerned for are you for this person, right? You know, do you care? Uh, empathic concern, we can call that. And we give individuals this test called the psychomotor vigilance test that's very often used in sleep research. It's basically a measure of behavior alertness. It's the simplest, most boring test you can do. It doesn't require you really to think much, to, to inhibit any response. You just look at a blank screen and every time you see an X, which comes up at unpredictable intervals, you're supposed to hit a spacebar as soon as possible, right? Now, pretty easy. You can do it pretty well for a few minutes, right? But after a while, it tends to unmask any sleep that you have, right? So if a person is very sleepy, you start to be slow, mm -hmm. right? Or you may even miss an X. And there are very precise mathematical models that based on your sleep history and time of day can explain about, explain about 70 to 80% of variance in your performance on this test. So it's a very good indicator of your sleepiness versus alertness. So what we found in this in this recent study is that people who were less objectively alert on this test actually expressed less empathic concern toward individuals in these photographs. They were literally too tired to care. And that if they were so low on alertness, they were making lapses, so they were missing access, they even had trouble identifying emotions from these photographs. And that's something that other researchers have also shown before in experiments. Hmm. So... You know, there's a lot of talk about uh, how empathy is important in terms of both understanding what other people are going through, connecting us to them, potentially important for pro-social behavior. And here's a thing that seems to go away when you're tired. And think about nurses and doctors. These are people who really need that empathy to do right. a good job with their patients. And, you know, they're having these difficulties as well. There's a recent study on... Uh, you know, emergency medical workers, right? And those who slept more poorly, you know, were able to empathize less with people they're working with. Mm -hmm. um, so, so those are the kind of effects, you know, empathy, self-control, these things that really make us human that seem to, to suffer when we don't get enough sleep. And countermeasures like caffeine are affecting in some way. So you talked about driving. It does help you to drive. So it does make you more alert, Right, increases some of this basic arousal, but it doesn't eliminate all effects of sleep deprivation. It doesn't. Now, it's I've misheard you. It, it doesn't want eliminate all oh, effects of sleep okay. loss. So it, it it kind of fixes this basic kind of arousal problem, but when it comes to you know divergent thinking, you know being creative, these things that require us to look at things from different perspective. Sleep loss really hits that, and caffeine doesn't fix it mm. from what we currently know. Hmm. So it goes back to that point that, that there are many effects, some we can compensate pretty well for, some we can't. Certain stimulants may work, stimulants may work for certain things, not for others. And that's kind of where the, the science is also going in terms of trying to figure that out. Wow. Well, as people learn more and more about this stuff, it might change the way that we that we look at life a bit, rather than people being like, oh, that guy's a genius. They might be like, that guy's a napper. He must really, <laughs> that guy must get a lot of rest, really processes information well. Well, naps are uh, coming back in vogue. A lot of, you know, companies, especially those that have kind of, you know, employees that just, you know, work on computers, you know, have mm -hmm. these nap pods in airports now. It's it's uh, becoming a chic thing these days. I, I hope so. I love <laughs> You're going to get on that train. Right? Oh, I'm already on the nap train. <laughs> I'm sleeping on it. Um, I... Well, that's regarding empathy too. That that just it makes my mind go all over the place. Whether there's a lot of uh, there's so many different topics that kind of uh, all emerge and come together. Where there's you have all of these rural communities, you have people 
uh, stressed out about their jobs and working longer and longer hours. And uh, a lot of like I've done a lot of factory work in my life. Well, I, relatively uh, a lot. Um, I, I guess, it was a lot to me. Um, and I'm, I've not done any factory work <laughs> except some print, printing, silkscreen printing. I've done some of that. <laughs> so, but there's uh, trying to uh, stay ahead of the. You know the singularity and and robots taking over everything, yes. having to work longer and longer hours, sometimes monotonous jobs, and, and it, it seems like we live in a world that's pretty sleep deprived. Although you make a wonderful point about during the Black Plague, I imagine people weren't sleeping that well. So that's that's another thing to keep in mind. This may not be the end of the world, but but there's also a lot of talk is about are we living in a less empathic world? Are are people? Uh, being less empathic toward others and and maybe this sleep loss is affecting this on a on a larger uh level not to get all political or anything but this but this might be uh part of a uh, uh, much larger issue yeah i think it kind of simply comes down to how much can you sort of squeeze an organism to to get out of it mm-hmm. all that you want out of it before it's stops giving you what you want right and you know there are things such as human limits and i think they're being tested in ways they've never been tested before Mm. again not that you know that means that there's going to be an apocalypse uh uh, is that a new word apocalypse (laughs) thank you (laughs) and i hope it's Uh, not an apocalypse i did have poor sleep last night so excuse me um and uh i'm usually uh, the one screwing up words yeah (laughs) Uh, we'll suffer together, I guess. Uh, so, um, but there, there are going to be some challenges and issues we're going to have to deal with. So it's kind of like you know, you can continue living without a leg, but it'd be you know better to have both legs, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, that's sort of the attitude I take toward uh, this issue of whether there's a sleep crisis or not. So people people see the writing on the wall. Eventually, this problem gets out of control the the apocalypse starts happening <laughs> there's riots in the streets and and the the united nations is like we we've pushed we've squeezed people too hard we they're there we have the uh the still the walking dead the walking sleep or some clever thing that i haven't had time to put together in my head <laughs> and and they go uh, they're like there's this guy uh, Slatten and and Ames, Iowa, who's looked into all this stuff, and we haven't heeded his warning, and they come to you. <laughs> I'm hardly the first. Uh, th- this uh, is I'm creating a dream state right yeah. now. Yeah, go on, go on. Uh, that uh, and, good to me. And, and they go uh, and and they go help us. What? How to? How do we restructure the world? What? What kind of? Um, what? Uh, what advice do we? Do we have to uh, to give the people to steer them in the right direction? What can what can corporations do? You yeah. mentioned mm-hmm. sleep pods mm-hmm. already, and pods yeah. and airports, yeah. and uh, hoping that trend takes off. Uh, we, we can uh, eliminate screens a couple hours be, before uh, going to bed. What what do we do? Save us. Uh, okay. Uh, oh, there's a lot well, of pressure. Good luck. Uh, <laughs> if you're counting on me to save you, I am. Uh, so uh, I'll, I'll give it a whirl. Um, so there's kind of a moral issue, I guess, and um, I'll also have to kind of side with behavioral economists um, with in another respect. So the, the moral issue is that the, the sleep is this thing that if we're going to fulfill our human potential and be creative and have energy and pursue our user skills, right? It, it, it's sort of a human right. European Court on Human Rights has declared sleep as something that's human right. Now, that may seem silly to us in a Western world, but you have a lot of people, even in the Western world, that live in depraved conditions, unsafe conditions, dangerous conditions, noisy conditions, where you can't get that sleep. And good luck fulfilling your potential like that. So I think there's this kind of a moral issues of recognizing how important sleep is, or at least an opportunity to sleep. Obviously, somebody going to sleep or not is comes down to many other factors, but the fact that you know people should have this opportunity as as a kind of a basic human right. You know how you legislate that is a more complicated question. I will completely avoid for now. The other the other issue, you know, how you do it, how you you improve these schedules. Uh, I I think you you got to look to economics, you know, and, and incentives. Um, so one way I think, and some uh, 
tech companies are starting to invest in this this idea of ethical design, right? So how would you make these devices and apps in a way that the user controls them rather than them controlling the user, which is the basic point <laughs> behind most software design, right? Just don't put the thing down. As long as you don't put thing down, all is good from right. a designer perspective. You want those clicks, you want those eyeballs on those ads. So how can you give that control back to the user? Are these automatic feedbacks in operating system that tells you you've been on it for two hours or, hey, you typically fell asleep at this time, it's now two hours, you know, simple things like that, nudges, we could call them, right, could make a huge difference. They're not forcing anybody to do anything. It's not a law you pass that you forbid anybody from doing anything. But a little things I think we can move to and, and some institutions are moving to that could make a very, very big difference when applied on a large scale. Well, maybe an app that you pay for that regulates, that helps regulate how much you're using other apps and alerts you <laughs> there, to. There is an irony in here or, you know, like now you can track your sleep and nocturnal movement through your iPhone on your bed. So there's this kind of a weird paradox that these devices that are harming your sleep can now be used to track and understand your sleep better. So then you worry more about your sleep, which prevents you falling asleep. There is this kind of a perverse aspect of, of intersection between technology to help you sleep better and then just technology uh, itself. This is, I'm, I'm going to, this is giving me so much to think about. I'm going to wake up tomorrow having so much new information ingrained in my head, hopefully. Just don't lose any sleep over it. <laughs> and, that was wonderful. Um, so I have I have my guests each week name a uh, nonprofit, a charity of their choice, some organization out there trying to do good. So Food Bank of Iowa. For food me. Bank. We got to sleep and we also got to eat. You do indeed. Um, awesome. Well, this was. Uh, do you uh, did you have anything else that you wanted to add before we go? I think that was a nice. We put a nice little bow on it and everything. Probably didn't even need to add this little part of me second guessing myself. <laughs> we we would have been. Now when you we would have been. <laughs> we would have been just fine without that. Well, thank you, Slatin, for joining us. Thanks a lot, Shane. And thank you, listeners, for being such wonderful, curious people. We'll talk with you next week. Next week on the show, we're in for a treat. What a fun job I have getting to meet these really interesting people doing this fascinating research. We're going to be talking about the neural foundation of emotion regulation next week. So where does anxiety, depression, ADHD, where are they produced in the brain? What What's happening? What What's in these emotion regulation stations? That's not at all what they're called. Uh, but what... When these uh, kind of different salient emotional states that we find ourselves in that are just such a big important part of our conscious life. What, what is happening in these kind of uh, base level, these, uh, these neural connections that uh, start off the cascade of responses that eventually arise into these things we feel as emotions. What is going on there? Complex uh, topic, super interesting topic. Man, we are uh, three and a half years strong on this podcast, and it is just endless. Life's endless uh, complexity and sophistication, um, and we are nowhere near running out of of things to talk about on this show i think we are still just scratching the surface i I always thought maybe we'd get down to the bottom of a a couple things on this show and uh, we've definitely had a lot of insights and a lot of great kind of overviews of of different fields but whoo we this is I think this is going to be a lifelong journey everybody uh and i i look forward to it each and every week um so i and i hope you guys do as well i want to say i've gotten some uh some feedback from you guys recently i got i got some some constructive criticism regarding some episodes in particular we had some episodes uh some some people that had things to say about race and how 
uh, race is perceived in our culture and, um, you know, is this a genetic thing? Is this a social thing? And uh, what are the many variables? And uh, I had some uh, some people on each side of the issue. And after each one, I had people writing in saying that they didn't, uh, they didn't find um, something that a guest said or they didn't find the, the guest in general to be overly uh, scientific or, or using, like exploring like great research methods or whatever on on the show and i have to say that uh i i really uh kind of agree a lot of times um sometimes this podcast strays away from hard science and we get more into the fields of speculation and i i try to uh you know i try to keep a leash on that at the same time you know these are politically charged issues and people just tend to get a little more fired up about these things it's certainly not the uh, most unscientific work that we've explored on the show i mean i've had life coaches on that i would uh, i would say are uh, you know maybe might not have the biggest place for on a on a show that proclaims to be a science podcast i had one of my one of my favorite episodes ever um andy with uh with headspace talking about meditation and i love talking about meditation on the show but uh and and there is plenty of scientific foundation to back meditation but uh, i wouldn't say it was a uh scientific uh episode but it was it was one of my favorites so I'm just saying the main reason I'm putting it out there is I don't um, I don't respond to everybody through the email. In fact, I'm pretty bad about responding. It's not to you guys. It's to everyone in general. I'm really bad about replying to emails. One thing I'm good about, I am reading every single one of your emails that you sent, and I'm appreciating them, and I'm taking them to heart, and I'm considering them. So when you write things like that, I consider that, and uh, it makes me um, you know evaluate. Uh, things with the future with booking future guests and and that sort of so i really really do appreciate the podcast but i just thought you guys uh kind of deserved an explanation and to know to be aware that even when i'm having a you know very professional scientist on talking about hard science and (laughs) there's still science is not perfect and scientists even less so and so you should always have a discerning eye and there's always going to be other ways of looking at um, any one of these subjects that we talk on the show so it's just a good opportunity to remind us all to be uh, a little skeptical and and discerning uh, sometimes especially when uh, you know I I do the the main focus of this podcast is as a science podcast and I, I try to have things be as scientific as possible. Um, but I'm going to come up short sometimes, and sometimes I think that's okay. Uh, because sometimes I think it's okay to just have uh, fun, entertaining conversations um, about these various political issues and philosophies and, and things that may not have the same scientific rigor as something like physics, for example. Um, so, uh, just throwing that out there, uh, just, uh, I, I received your comments loud and clear and I absolutely appreciate them. Uh, thank, thanks to each and every one of you for writing all this. I've had some, some comments there. There's like a edit that we missed on the podcast recently that someone gave me a heads up for anything like that is always so appreciated don't worry you're not going to hurt my feelings i love uh constructive uh, criticism it shows that you guys care that you're listening that you're paying attention and you're trying to help me out so love it thank you so much once again you can go to shane moss m-a-u-s-s dot com to find out more about what i have going on the big push right now is uh is psychonautics the movie coming out june 15th if you know anyone in la who into documentaries or or psychedelics or comedy uh any one of those things i think they're going to enjoy this film a science let's not forget science do we really cover a lot of the uh current research going on and so uh anyone that can spread the word I'd love to see. We got a big 450 seat 
the theater and going to be up there on the big screen and there's going to be a lot of uh, hoity-toity Hollywood industry types or at least hopefully they'll be there checking out the film and to have a full room full of enthusiastic people uh, will really help us get distribution um, on uh, on better platforms and make sure that they know that there's a market for this and will uh, lead to you guys who can't make it to LA being able to uh, see it on a cool platform and also uh, you know if we make a if we end up making a little more on on this documentary that will be money to uh, make some other projects and, and documentaries as well which I would now like to do I really enjoyed the process also Michael meditations uh, go back and listen to the Michael meditations episode um, I was on the fence with whether I was going to participate in another retreat we were putting psychedelics on the back burner for a while but as soon as I had my mind made up to put psychedelics on the back burner of course that's just the way that life goes you know you you really push for something and a bunch of things fall through and then you give up and you're like screw it I'll go this other direction now and uh and then um the uh the universe <laughs> speaking of not being very scientific uh just it, it's there it's just so paradoxical you 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 kind of stop trying for something and then all of a sudden all these things come uh, come your way and so we got the documentary the retreat was just this amazing time i just Seeing people's lives change like that in front of me was fantastic. It was also just a fun time, and we had tons of laughs and great conversations. And I got to meet fans personally, and it was just so rewarding and awesome. I hope you guys uh, can consider making it December 1st through 9th. I think it's going to be an incredible time. Music this week by Sam Goodwill. That's about it. Those of you that listen all the way to the end, you are, of course, my favorites. Thank <laughs> you.